So this gospel reading clearly wasn't written about Episcopalians because none of you camp out in front of the church hours before the service waiting to be let in. In fact, you come at the last possible moment. I was looking at the watch today at about 9.20 and only two or three of you had shown up. By 9.27, the roll, you were starting to roll in. I saw Jim Florek come out around 9.15, go back into his house and then come to the church. So, <laughs> so this gospel probably has nothing to say to you, right? Wrong, okay. How many of you like to procrastinate in other areas of your lives, right? Uh, Even if your motto, here's the thing, even if your motto is be prepared, it is seldom the case that you are prepared for the right thing at the right time. That means you can either exhaust yourself trying to prepare, prepare for every contingency or adopt a more prudent course of action, focus on doing what you can do and leave the rest to take care of itself. In general, that's probably good advice, and it results in things like balanced checkbooks and paid-off mortgages and money saved for retirement. But it can't do anything about that cancer diagnosis, which comes after a lifetime of healthy eating and regular gym workouts. With whom do you identify in today's gospel reading from Matthew? Do you identify with the foolish bridesmaids, or do you consider yourselves one of the smart ones? Here's the thing, this parable isn't about being prepared in a material sense. In truth, this is a parable about spiritual preparation. It's about waking up spiritually. Jesus says, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Jesus is speaking to his church about the state of the church at the time of his second coming. So this is a prophetic parable. The bridesmaids all share one thing in common. They've been invited to a marriage feast. However, only half of them are ready to go. The other half are called foolish, perhaps because they never took the invitation seriously. Maybe they thought it was just another party, another night on the town, not the end of the world. They don't make the necessary provisions. When they realize too late that their lamps are dying. They foolishly think they can go buy more oil, but it's midnight. The market isn't open. The dealers are at home in bed. Yet, as if to underscore, underscore their foolishness, they go anyway. The message is obvious. Do not put off getting right with God. Do not neglect the practice of your faith. Otherwise, when you need it, you will find you do not have it. You will risk hearing the bridegroom say, truly I say to you, I do not know you. This isn't the first time we hear those words from Jesus in the gospel. These are real words that he said, that he spoke. And I think they undermine anyone who would tell you that Jesus simply forgives all, loves all, that you can always run to him at the very last minute. Maybe that's true, but why would you risk it? Why would you risk hearing the words from the true Messiah, I do not know you? They're not put in the Bible for nothing. Jesus gives us the means to know him through his holy word. And that word is the Bible from the very first page to the very last page. He is the incarnate word, which means that he wrote the words in the beginning, in the beginning of the book of Genesis, all the way through to the last verses of the book of Revelation. If we do not study the Bible, we will not know Jesus and he will not know us, or at least he will not know us in the way that we want him to. 
He will only know us as someone who is spiritually asleep rather than spiritually awake as only the word of God can make us. Jesus makes this clear in John chapter 6, verse 63. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And David writes in Psalm 17, verse 15, as for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. I will be satisfied with your likeness, God, when I awake. Now, how do you expect to be satisfied with the likeness, with the face of a holy and just God if you have not spent your life getting to know him? In other words, by growing in wisdom, by growing in God's wisdom, just like we can assume the wise maids in this, the, the wise bridesmaids in this story had done. I don't know about you, but I have a hard time with the motto, letting go and letting God. It's probably good advice. It certainly seems to be a, 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 something that someone with faith could say, but I have a hard time letting go and letting God. But it's true that I have faith, and it's true that I go to God and give him my troubles in prayer. And it's also true that I go to his word and find comfort there. For instance, these are some of my favorite verses in which I find comfort. James chapter 5, verse 7, he writes, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until he receives the early and the late rains. Some of us may have experienced that in our lives where early, early on in our lives there was blessing and there was joy and happiness and then a trough hits, a long, a long period of despair or loneliness or wandering or feeling forsaken. Wait in that moment for the late rains to come. That is what this passage is saying, but it takes faith to do that. Joel chapter 2, verse 25, another of my favorite verses. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army, which I sent among you. God will restore to us the years that the locust has eaten. I preached a few, few weeks ago about what a comfort it is to know that even our troubles come from God. In Romans chapter 8, verse 28, Paul writes, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. These are the words of comfort. These are words of comfort when we read them with faith, which is to say when we read them with the wisdom that comes from studying God and his word. I find, however, that no sooner do I read these words, but then I begin to start worrying about the details. How are you going to work it out for me, God? How are you going to, when are, the, when are the late rains going to come? What day? Can I see a forecast here? Give me some oil for my, because my lamp is going out, I shout to no one in particular. Of course, that's just a metaphor, because once again, I have fallen asleep spiritually. I'm mature enough in my Christian faith to know that by now, no amount of oil from the marketplace will keep my faith alive but I still want to go out and buy some. Faith is, after all, a free gift that comes from God, and I know that. But why do I keep thinking I have to buy it? In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, Paul writes, For we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith, not by sight. This past week, I was on a retreat in the Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina, and the darkness and the silence of a higher... Elevation and a higher elevation contributed to several wonderful nights of sleep. But still, I found that I had to get up more than once in the night. 
Did I walk then by faith and not by sight? No, of course, I grabbed my iPhone and turned on the flashlight (laughs) to keep myself from stubbing my toe. So what does Paul mean? Paul means that when God has promised to do something, he will do it, even when the evidence for him doing it or even the likelihood of him doing it seems thin. In today's readings, we hear that Jesus has promised that he will return. He has not told us when. Now, there are many foolish people who do not take the prospect of Christ's return seriously. This parable warns us that only some some members of the visible church will be, be, be ready to receive Jesus and go into the banquet with him when he returns. Let me underscore that. Some of the people who say they're Christian, who go to church, will not be welcome into the banquet. That's what this parable is saying. It is only the faithful church that Jesus recognizes. And faithfulness is measured by our lamps. Psalm 119 verse 105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. What do you think that's saying? It's saying that the oil that gets put into the lamps of our faith is Holy Scripture, the words of God. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. Now, if this seems like heavy-handed law that your lamps need to be filled with oil, let me remind you that the gospel is the oil, and it is free to you by the grace of God. You don't need to go and buy this oil just as Abraham didn't need to sacrifice his son because God provided a lamb in his stead. And just as you and I don't need to sacrifice anything because God has provided Jesus to be the sacrifice for us. So there is law here. There is condemnation. If your lamp goes out, you will not go into the banquet. But if your lamp is filled with the word, the oil of the word, and glows brightly with faith, you will be welcomed in. Once it's midnight, the store of God's grace is closed forever, whether that means the end of your life or the end of the world. So do not be foolish and go go and try to buy oil after it's too late. I said earlier that Jesus is describing the state of his church in this parable. Since the second coming of Jesus Christ is always imminent, and for that matter, our deaths are also always imminent, we know not the day or the hour, This is a parable for the church in every age. So which type of bridesmaid are you, foolish or wise? And how can you tell? How can you tell if you're one of the foolish ones or the wise ones? First, do you have a lamp? The lamp is the badge of your faith. Have you been baptized? Have you joined a local church? Have you been regular in your attendance at Sunday worship? If you have children, have you brought them up in the knowledge and love of God? Have you even brought them to church? If so... Good, you have a lamp. Second, is your lamp full of oil? You see, you can do all of the above and still be a foolish bridesmaid. Are you nourishing your faith through regular reading of the Bible? Do you seek out good and faithful commentaries on the text to help you understand? Do you make regular appointments with your pastor for spiritual checkups? Do you care for your souls with the same concern as you do your bodies? How about your associates and friends? Are they fellow Christians? Do they encourage you in your faith or do they lead you astray? The word of God is indeed free, but it is no use to you if it is a closed book. Finally, can you honestly say that you know who Jesus is, that you know him and that you know who he is? 
Jesus is not the cosmic Christ. He is not the universe. He is not cosmic consciousness. He is not the perennial tradition. He is not found in Islam or Judaism or Hinduism. He is not found in the paganism of old or in the neo-paganism of today. He is not one of many paths to the center. He was a man born in Judea, a carpenter's son under the Roman yoke, obedient to the law of Moses. In other words, as Jesus himself says it in his own words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You need never fear having to hear the dreadful words from his lips. Truly, I say to you, I do not know you if you already know who he is, as he has revealed himself to you on every page of the Bible. If you make yourself ready by knowing him and knowing who he is during your time on this earth, then when he comes, you will be found among the wise and not the foolish. Amen.